0: Listen, Father, thank you for this time we can get together and study your Word. I pray that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. You would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your law. You would unite our hearts to fear your name and that you would satisfy us with your steadfast love as we see it revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, that as your Word word falls down like rain, on us, that it would bear the fruit that you would have it to bear. I pray that you would bear good fruit in us um, through your word, that you would till up our hearts to be good soil to receive the seed of your word so we could experience the happiness that comes with the new life that comes from your word. I thank you, Father, for these things through Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you together with the Holy Spirit, one God forever praise. Amen. So, just a quick recap before we dive in. Number one, I wanna talk about, I, got, I went over this really quickly and it was two weeks ago, so I'm sure no one remembers. Um, two questions. One, what are emotions? We're talking about emotions. The title of the, of the lesson is The Anatomy of the Soul. We're talking about emotions and what they are and what are they for. So there's two questions: What are emotions, and what are they for? What what are they exactly, and what are they supposed to do? What's their purpose? What's the nature of emotions? Emotions are. Here's my simple little definition: They are our response to stimuli. They are our response. That's and we'll build on that definition, and I'll make I'll show you examples and what I'm talking about. They are our response to things that happen. Um, so. For example, you are walking through the jungle, as you do, and you happen to see a tiger crouching in the grass. You, you notice the tiger is the stimuli. You notice him. That's not good. So what happens next is, you notice, you perceive the stimuli that goes into your brain and you do something called interpretation. You go, is this good or is this bad? now there's a story there was uh, some kids playing outside (laughs) and uh, they kept saying to their mom mommy 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 there's a kitty on the roof and their mom come out and look around go there's no kitty on the roof you guys are silly keep playing blah 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 and um, a few hours later they come back inside and they go man that kitty on the roof was so funny blah 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 and it turns out that there was a mountain lion loose in the neighborhood that they saw, they found out about when the animal control showed up because a neighbor saw the mountain lion on the roof of their house and they came, and so they had, they had the wrong response. They had the wrong evaluation. They had the same stimuli that you would have seeing a tiger, seeing a mountain lion, but because they didn't know how to interpret it, they go, ooh, kitty. (laughs) Instead of, ah, that thing sees me and sees dinner. So, What's involved in emotions is first there's a stimuli. There's something we see that motivates, that 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 stirs something within us, and we interpret that thing with our brain. We either say safe or dangerous. We say dangerous and we run. We say safe and we go pet the kitty. Now, after so after evaluation, there's action. So it's stimuli, response uh, stimuli, interpretation, Emotion, you feel the fear that starts to galvanize you. The blood pumps to your limbs uh, so that you can flee, and then you flee. Every emotion has these sorts of steps in it. You, there's, there's something that stimulates it. There's some way you evaluate it. Then there's a physiological and spiritual, even, response to it, metaphysical response to that thing, and that is, motivates you to act in a certain way. So that's what emotions are. There are eight primary ones, and they mix like colors. It's like, uh, think about a paint can. The eight primary emotions, just to list them off for you, that may be very helpful um, as we go. And these are the eight topics that we'll be covering and we'll be going over. The eight primary emotions are happiness, sadness, trust, disgust, fear, anger, amazement, and anticipation. Happiness, sadness, trust, disgust, fear, anger, amazement, and anticipation. And now, emotions are much more complicated than these eight things, right? We've, you feel more than those eight things. Because like paint colors, think about every. have you ever been to Lowe's to get paint? And they put the bucket underneath the thing, and they scan your little uh, paint chip that you get off of the wall, and they push a button, and what happens? There's three little spouts with three different colors that spray a different amount of different colors into that paint can that then gets mixed up and stirred, and it creates a unique color. That's how emotions are. are. There are these eight primary emotions that mix in various ways to produce a very specific emotional response that is unique to you to any given situation. So it's not as... We're gonna, that's what, we're gonna talk about the eight, because if you start mixing them together, and as we talk about those eight, I'll talk about some of the most common kind of mixtures and things like that, but we're gonna talk about those eight kind of primary colors. Um, third, emotions. Third thing we need to know about the nature of emotions is emotions are part of God's good design. They were part of Adam and Eve in the garden, they were part of what God evaluates and says very good, and they're part. We know they're part of God's good design because they're designed to reflect something in Him. So our emotions are a finite version of God's infinite emotional capacities. Uh, there was one writer who likes to talk about God's emotions. He calls them the emotions, like the ah emotions and our emotions as regular emotions to kind of separate the two qualitatively. But I probably won't do that because it's hard to say. So God's emotions, our emotions, we just need to understand that they're different. Second, the second point is the purpose of emotions. So that's the nature. Emotions are their response to stimuli based on our interpretation. There are eight primary ones. And they're a part of God's good design, and he has an intention for them. He has a purpose for them. So what is that purpose? There are three purposes for your emotions. Emotions, first, they provide communication about the things we love most dearly. So they provide this internal communication. Think about when you get angry. When you you get angry, when the thing that you love most dearly is threatened. So let's say the mom in our scenario with the mountain lion on the roof, and this is something that has happened, comes out and sees the mountain lion and gets into the yard just as it pounces down towards her children. What happens in that mom's physiology? Does she get scared? Does she feel fear? No, everything in her brain is triggering anger. There is something about to devour your beloved children. And moms in those scenarios have been known to tear mountain lions apart. I, there, I'm serious. There's a story in the news about a woman who the mountain lion came up in her yard. It's a different woman. I don't know where these people are living where there's all these mountain lions. <laughs> you know how Google your news thing works? You Google mountain lions one time, and you get every story about mountain lions for the rest of your life. So this mountain lion comes into this woman's yard, and she barehandedly, because it's getting, she's standing between it and her child, she killed this mountain lion, choked it to death in her yard. And it didn't really have a scratch on her. Because that, that's what anger is meant to do. That anger was, was triggered in her, and, and it motivated her to act in the defense of the thing that she loved. So it, what, it, what does that communicate about the things that it loves? It communicates that her children are very dear to her and you better not try to do anything to them because she killed a mountain lion. What's she going to do to you? Like, it's a terrifying woman. She was very nice in the interview. Um, yeah. So that's the first thing they do. They tell us about our, our most deeply held loves, the, the, the objects of our, most, of our deepest affections. Second, emotions enable connection. So communication, connection, enable connection to God and to one another. Let's think about this on the level of one another for a second. Emotions, what do you do? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. There's this great little book that we read to our kids, and it's called The Rabbit Listened, and it's about emotions. And it's a short little book. It's a little kid's book. And in this book, there's this little girl, and she builds this tower out of blocks, and it gets knocked over, and she's distressed. She's sad because this thing that she loved has fallen apart. And all these different animals parade by and offer different kinds of help. So a bear comes and goes, ah, why don't we go? I hate this, let's just smash everything. You know. And he kind of represents anger and, and she doesn't want to do that, so, she, so the bear goes on. A snake comes and says, let's go destroy somebody else's tower to like get revenge. Like, you know. So she's getting tempted by all these different animals. I don't think the kids see it that way. Um, <laughs> But she gets to the end and all these different animals do these different things and the rabbit comes along. You know, rabbits don't really make noise and they're all kind. The rabbit just sidles up to her and listens. And the rabbit listens as she goes through her anger and through her sadness and through her hopes and dreams about the new tower and all this stuff. And the rabbit just sits there and listens to her. The point being, The idea is that the rabbit represents kind of somebody who comes alongside and just listens and sits, moves into your emotional state and sits with you in it. My favorite biblical example of this is Job's friends. For seven days, they did exactly what they should have done until they opened their mouths. They sat there for seven days and just sat with Job in his misery. And that was the greatest encouragement from those friends that Job takes in the entire book. And God, at the end, rebukes them for what? Not for sitting with Job, not for being a good friend and entering into his pain and suffering, but for opening their mouths. He says, what you spoke about me is wrong, Job says to them, or God says to them. So, emotions enable us to connect with one another at a very deep experiential level in a way that just mental connection, connection about ideas, doesn't. When you feel, when you know someone is sad and you see the sadness on their face, you feel what they feel, you begin to cry, right? Like you begin to feel their emotion. And it's sort of transferred even by just looking people in the face. And that is how we connect to one another. Now, God, here's the amazing thing. God has made us with this emotional capacity, and one of the reasons he has given it to us, and it's a match in some way to his, is so that we can connect to him on that deep emotional level. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into the talking about happiness because it's one of my points from Psalm 1. So I'll get a little more example of that. Third, the third thing emotions do is they provide motivation to act. Think about the mom with the mountain lion again. Just an easy example. The motivation, it doesn't just tell us that she loves her children dearly. But it tells us. But it motivates her to act and empowers her action. Emotions are meant to do that. They're meant to. In God's design, they're meant to empower righteous action. In our corruption of them, they don't always do that. Well, they never do that perfectly. So, that is the recap. That's the overview um, of what we talked about uh, two weeks ago. Um, very briefly, at the end, got to squeeze it in. So here, let's move into um, talking about the emotion of happiness. Look at Psalm one. I am going to change a few things as I read. From if you're reading the ESV, um, or I'll read the ESV and then I'll tell you what I changed. Here we go. Psalm one. Blessed is the man. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." So you may be thinking to yourself, how is this about happiness? The word happiness does not appear in this verse, in this chapter. Au contraire, my friends. The word blessed is translated from The Hebrew Asher, you may recognize it as the name of one of Jacob's sons, Asher, which means she named her uh, named him happiness because she was happy to have had a son. Asher or Ashrei, as it's uh, uh, conjugated here, is it it means happiness. (laughs) It means we've we've. This blessed is the result of a translation history. In the, in the, the, when the King James Bible translators translated the Bible, blessed meant something different to them than it does to us now. It meant happy. So they did an accurate job translating this as happy because they used the word that they used all the time that meant what we mean by happy, blessed. But over time, what has happened to the word blessed? Does anybody... When I say to you, the Lord bless you, what 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 am I ta- what am I asking the Lord to do? Is there ideas, thoughts? Give what what do, do I mean by bless? Really giving like hashtag blessed.
1: God has <laughs> yeah. me a
0: lot of good stuff. Yeah, God's given me a bunch of good stuff. I'm asking God to unload the open the open the open the prize vault of heaven and and pour it out. Is that what blessed means? What other ideas. It's usually has like a negative connotation. Like you go to somebody and are like, I'm having a hard time. But... Oh god, yeah. god you need hopefully God will change your life. You know. Yeah. You. <laughs> Obviously his blessing is not with you. And so he needs to reverse that. Yeah. Yeah. Any other ideas, thoughts? What do we mean by blessed? Good health. Good health. Good health. And honestly, like that is included in the idea of happiness. And so that is, that's a very accurate part of the whole. Good health. What else? Do you, does anybody think happiness? Does anybody in here go, when I say, bless you, I am, I'm saying, may the Lord make you happy. May he fill you with great joy. May you have a deep satisfaction that all your needs are met. May you have a contentment that that everything that you will ever need, physiologically, all your safety needs, your needs for esteem, your needs for community, all of those are met in a a holistic way. And so you have an emotional response to having all of that in place. Is that what anybody thinks when I say blessed? We tend to to make it sound like it means holy, holy. Read it like this. Holy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now that's true, right? And that's how we typically read this. That that if if you stay out of the counsel of the wicked, and if you stay out of the way of the sinners, and if you don't go in the seat of the mockers and the scoffers, then you will be holy. But is that what the word means? It means happy. You will have a deep sense. Here's, everybody in the world is on a quest for happiness. It is the deepest desire of the human heart. I want to be happy because here's the definition of happiness. Here's here's how the Bible, if you look at it holistically, here's what it means. It means, happiness means that you are having an emotional response to a state of complete contentment and satisfaction. We all have needs, right? You have physical needs. You got to eat, you got to sleep. Not get rained on. (laughs) We have needs for security. We need a roof over our heads. We need a place to sleep. We need uh, uh, a constant source of food. We need that stuff to be secure or we'll start to feel anxious. We need... uh, and it's those, So those are kind of physiological protection needs, but what, do, what, else, what else do we need? God has made us with many needs. Even Jesus says, like, your Father knows you need these things. He doesn't say you just want these things. You just want food and shelter and all that. Your Father knows you need these things. He's made you with these needs. He's made you dependent. We need esteem. We need honor. We need a sense that... that, that Someone is looking at us and smiling. That someone we care about deeply cares about us. And we also need a sense of community. It's not enough to have just one other person who highly esteems us. We need a sense of community and love that we're connected to. And when all these needs are met, we also need to realize who God has created us to be. God has made you a specific facet of his image that no one else can fulfill. No one who has ever lived, no one who will ever live, will meet the same specific, will will, will reflect God's glory in the exact same way that you do. And he's uniquely made you to reflect his glory in a way that no one else ever will. You are a unique snowflake in that way. When you look at it that God has created you for that purpose. And no one else can reflect God's glory in the specific way that you do. And so you need to have a sense that you're doing that because that's your purpose, to glorify God and to what? what is, what's the chief end of man? Come on, Presbyterians. Yeah, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him Forever. And the two aren't enemies, they're friends. John Piper famously says it, the, more satis- "The God is the most glorified in you when you are the most satisfied in him. And that's one of the truest things that, I, that he says. When you are satisfied with God, when it, we glorify God by enjoying God. We, to glorify means to make look heavy, to make look weighty, to make somebody look important. That's the essence of what it means to glorify someone. And we do that by enjoying God. What does it say about us if we're a bunch of glum... I hate our reputation. Not ours as a church, as Briarwood. But like the Presbyterian uh, reputation is not for a joyous, boisterous bunch of people, is it? We are the frozen chosen. When you picture a Presbyterian pastor, you usually pick a Picture a very austere face. I mean, I, I think Dr. Reeder is a, a great exception. <laughs> you know, uh, breaks the stereotype, breaks the mold. Because he's always smiling. He's always laughing. He's jovial. And so I think, but what we picture, when we picture a holy man, is we picture a, a, a giant, nice, square beard and, uh, and a, a scowling face looking down on you and, and, and maybe putting you to shame a little bit because did you get up and have your devo- devotions this morning? And, and how much have you been praying this? Like, that is the image that we have. And so, and that's the image we have of God. Why do we, why, like I said last time, we become like what we worship? Here's the problem. If we had a happy God, maybe we would be happy people. If we worship the God of happiness, maybe we would be happier people, right? And maybe we would have a reputation for being happy people. But we treat God as if he's not happy. I want to look at a few verses. Is God happy? Here's my question. 1 Timothy 1.11. Now that we've gotten the blessed thing out of the way. It means happy. In the New Testament, you have another word, makarios, that's doing the same thing. It is most often used in the Greek Old Old Testament to translate asher. And so it is referencing the same thing that asher is referencing. It is talking about happiness, a holistic life happiness, an emotion of joy, an emotional response. That's what it's talking about. And the same word is used in the New Testament. So... What I say? 1 Timothy 1, verse 11. It's not good to do sword drill with a new Bible. Pages stick together. Uh, so Paul has just gotten kind of done talking about the law. Uh, here's the verse. There's just one part of it I want you to see. In accordance with the gospel, all of this law, these commands are in accordance with The gospel is the good news of the glory of what? Of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now, that's what it says in the ESV. It's wrong. Feel free to mark it out and put happy because it's just wrong. We don't mean happy by that anymore. And so it does not accurately translate the word that is underneath what Paul is saying is very clearly the gospel of the glory of the happy God. God is happy. He is adamant about it. He wants you to know that God is happy. And it's not just there. And in, in later, in, he, he opens the book by talking about the happy God. Then he closes the book by talking about the happy God. 6.15. Uh, I charge you in the presence of God, starting at Verse 13 who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So he's saying, I charge you to make the good confession. Even if somebody threatens you to death, I charge you to confess that Christ is Lord. And in his presence, I make this charge to you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Jesus will display himself at the proper time. He who is the happy... and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God is happy. Jesus is happy. His good news, Isaiah 52, is good news of happiness. I've got good news. Does good news ought to make you happy. It's the proper response to good news, right? When you hear good news, what is your, you graduated from school. Here's your diploma. Oh, I don't want to hear that. You know, uh, you, a, new, you've just, a new baby is born. You know, you've, you've got a daughter. You've got a son. Oh, how sad. <laughs> that's good news. And, that, and you would think there was something wrong with me if that's how I responded to it, right? And there would be. So we need to respond to good news the way that God designed us to respond to good news. It's good news of happiness. God created all things out of the overflow of his happiness. Genesis 1.31, he calls everything good, very good, and all of creation. And what that means, that's an evaluation. He's created all this stuff, and he's making an evaluation. He's saying, I am very pleased with this. This makes me happy. I am happy and pleased with everything that I've made. In Job chapter 38, God responds to Job, And all of Job's questions. I love how God responds to Job's questions. And here's how he, here's one part of that. Verse 4, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 11, or verse 7. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, you think you're going to run the universe better than me? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, and then who determined its measurement? Surely you know, or stretched out the line upon it, or what were its bases or where was its basis sunk? or who laid its cornerstone? Where were you when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. God's creativity made angels. Sing for joy at the sheer marvel of his creativity. Here's one of my favorites. Look at Proverbs chapter eight. I'm just going to hit this one more, then we'll move on. Let's get over to Proverbs chapter eight really quick. In Proverbs chapter eight, wisdom gets personified. Wisdom takes on uh, features uh, of a person, and it's a woman. And so, this personification of wisdom says this. Let's see, where do I want to start? Herefore, I speak of no. I, wisdom, dwell in prudence. Ah, uh, 22, that's where I want to start. Yahweh. When he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him. And listen to this, like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Jesus will go on to refer to himself as God's wisdom. And he will say, in Matthew, that wisdom is known by her children, referring to this passage. Wisdom is known by its fruit. And so he he thinks of himself in these terms of wisdom. And this little phrase right here, this... uh, Blessed is the one who listens to me. Happy is the one who listens to me, who listens to wisdom. I was a master workman. I was like a master workman. Daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. The way that should really be translated is I was daily frolicking. I was having fun, smiling before him all the time, frolicking in his inhabited earth and delighting in the human race. Can you picture the Trinity creating and what he is saying is that God the Son was frolicking and laughing as they created the world together. The three-person God laughed. And you don't think they laughed when they made the platypus? You don't think they laughed? (laughs) You don't think they thought that was funny? Let's make one that lays eggs like a bird, but it's a mammal and it has milk and its milk will be blue. And we'll give it a tail like a, like a beaver. Sweet. Like, that is hilarious. They were having fun. They were, happiness is what drove them to make the world because they were happy with one another from before the world began. John, Jesus says in John 17, Restore to me to the happiness and the joy that we had with each other before the foundation of the world. So this happiness between the Father, Son, and Spirit is what creates the world. It is, we are made for happiness. We have this sense that we are made for happiness because we are made out of happiness. We, are, we do not worship Allah, the singular God who cannot actually love anyone outside of himself because he's a monad. He exists on his own from all eternity. But God, our God, is three persons, one essence, and so forever they have been loving one another. The Father has been pouring His love out to the Son by the Spirit, and the Son has been turning back to the Father and pouring His love back to the Father for all eternity through the Spirit. The Spirit just proceeding between the two of them in this eternal dance. This joyous, happy frolicking dance and they're so happy they're so joyful they didn't create the world because they needed it they created the world because they were so happy they were so filled with joy that it just burst out we need more people (laughs) they're just frolicking with one another and they go "You, you know what would be awesome more people Let's make more persons because then they can join into our joy and we can pour our joy and our happiness into them and they can pour that, that infinite happiness. That, that They can take it into themselves and pour it right back to us and they can join in this marvelous dance. God loves persons because he's three of them. He has three of them himself. He is three of them himself. And so he created people. To experience his happiness, his love, and to bring them into his happiness. Jesus says of the servant that will come into his presence at the last day, uh, the, the dulas a creas, the, the worthless servant, he says, if there's a servant who waits on his master and he does a good job, his master will come and say, Great job. And the servant will say, I am just a, I am just a worthless servant. I'm only doing my duty. But the master, I tell you, he says, will rise from the table. He will wrap himself in the garb of a servant and he will have that servant sit down and he will serve him and he will say, come enter into the happiness of your master. as I, the Son, wait on you. Isaiah, two more minutes, Isaiah pictures the resurrection as a great feast. He says, God himself, in that day, God himself will set a feast for his people in Zion, and it will be full of the best meat and aged wine and cheeses and everything that God has created. And who makes the meal?" He says, I will set a meal. God himself is laboring in the kitchen to set this meal. He wants us to picture him as as like a Martha, you know, bouncing around and busy at work, like putting all this stuff together, telling angel sous chefs, no, 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 you know, like a great sovereign Gordon Ramsay. (laughs) That's what we're supposed to picture. He He is loving this so that he can share with us this great aged wine. Psalm 104 says that wine was given to man by God to make his heart glad. Now, who invented wine? Did God invent wine? He gave it to man. That's what Psalm 104 says. No, it's a man-made thing. But God takes credit for it and says, that's mine. Why? Because it's to make you happy, and all happiness in any means it's got to point back to me. C.S. Lewis, he was in a woodshed. He's writing That's beside the point. Uh, He's writing a letter to his friend Malcolm, and he's he's talking about how he's in this woodshed, and he sees the light slant in through the cracks in this woodshed, and it's hitting the dust. Have you ever seen that? The light hit the dust, and all of a sudden you can see the light and the particles floating through it. And C.S. Lewis talks about how beautiful that is. But then what he does he says what you have to do in these moments of joy where you see this beautiful thing is you have to trace the light beam back to its source enjoy the light beam enjoy the meal enjoy the food enjoy the wine but raise a glass to the king when you do everything is whatever you do do it all for the lord colossians and whatever you do do for the glory of god Everything is, everything is lawful for you because it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. You can enjoy. God says, enjoy it all. Just make sure, thank me for it. <laughs> Send your gratitude and your thanks and your joy to the right person. Find your happiness in me and not in my gift alone, but use the gift as a means by which to show your gratitude towards God. I had amazing, I'm going to end with this, a couple of Thanksgivings ago, my brother uh, used to weigh 110 more pounds than he does now. So he was an amazing chef. And he made the best pie that I've ever had in my life. I remember, I can taste it, even to this day. It was this apple crumble pie that he had spent, the, the dough was like aged, like sourdough, like he had like raised it himself like it was a child. And, and he had made this pie for Thanksgiving and when i had a bite of this pie i had to sing the doxology i had i mean it, there was no other response to this pie but praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him all you creatures here below praise him father <laughs> you know, praise him above your heavenly host and that is the kind of happiness that god has filled his world with that he wants to just draw us back to him with that happiness so our the response that happiness is to meant, meant to motivate in us is to turn to God and give thanks. Give thanks, and he will, he will, he will receive that gratitude. I, it can be the most ill-formed words you've ever heard. My, my two-year-old offers me things all the time that I would normally never want anything to do with. But when she offers me these things, it's because she offers it to me that it brings joy to my heart. And you can really, really make God happy. God is made happy by your gratitude, by your obedience, by your repentance. And he's happy to forgive you. In Jeremiah, he says, in the latter days, I will rejoice to do you good it will make me so happy to do you good that's the god we serve if we worship this happy god it will make us more happy i got tons more to say on happiness probably too much but uh that's all we got time for this morning so let me pray for us sorry we didn't get more into the passage went off on my rails um (laughs) Father, I thank you um, for your word and the many passages in your word that confirm your great happiness that overflowed to create the world. Cause us, Lord, to shout for joy with the angels at your happiness, at the great creative work that you've made and to join you in that creative work and sacrifice that you've made for others. Uh, Help us to find our happiness in a complete other-centeredness, the way that you do. Uh, Help us, Lord. Guide us into greater and greater happiness through Christ our Lord, the happy and yet man of sorrows, the man who was was a man of sorrows but had a deep well of mirth that could set the world a-dancing if it were to burst forth. Thank you, Father, through Christ our Lord. Amen.